Hello, Pastor Matt here. At New Life Baptist Church, we are pleased to be able to make these resources available to the public. Our desire is that these online resources or any other resources you find online would never be used to replace you joyfully belonging to a local church body, but rather that they would be supplemental for your walk with Christ. I pray that through this sermon, the word of the living God would stir your affections for Christ, strengthen your commitment to him, and broaden your understanding of who he is. children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Let's pray. Father, as we are now transitioning to study, Lord, and to set our minds and our hearts to understand, Lord, we confess that we are unable to understand your scriptures without the Holy Spirit. Further than that, I am unable to adequately or even accurately proclaim the truth that is found in this scripture, uh, in these scriptures, without the Holy Spirit. So I pray that by your Spirit you would um, empower the word going forth, and by your Spirit that the word would be received in everyone's hearts, that we would understand it, and learn how to apply it in our lives for the glory of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated.
So, last week we were in 2 John. And if you notice, there seems to just continually, there seems to continue to be a theme running through these letters of love and truth. It's all over 1 John, certainly all over John's Gospel. We found it in 2 John, and here we are again with the theme of love and truth. And then we see two examples of these two men who, one is obviously doing well, another is not doing so hot. Well, Diotrephes, going down in all of history as a divisive, wicked man. So what we want to do today, there are only two commands in this letter, and we don't reach them until near the end. So what we want to do is we want to understand that when we study the Word, not every single book, not every verse, not every chapter is going to have clear-cut, direct commands for us to take home and immediately apply to our lives. What we want to do, though, is we want to understand what the text is saying, what's going on there, and that helps us at times to draw forth principles that we can then base our life upon or at least see an example which we are to imitate. For that reason, the title of our sermon today is Imitate Good. wonder where we got that from, if not from verse 11. To imitate good. So we're going to spend our time today looking at these two different examples. We'll, we'll, we'll consider the, the commendation of Gaius, the man Gaius, and then we will look at the condemnation of Diotrephes. We will look at these examples and we will hopefully imitate good from these examples. But truth and love... We fill our minds with truth that our hearts might be filled with love and with worship. This is a theme all over John. John is hammering home truth and love, truth and love, and they are inextricably connected. That means they are absolutely interwoven in an inseparable way. You cannot separate truth from love. You can certainly sometimes speak the truth in an unloving way, but you can certainly never truly love people without truth. Truth and love. What does John say? How does he greet this man? The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. We saw that last week, didn't we? He loves the church, the elder, the elect lady in truth. If you'll remember back from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he said, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You see, let us not love in word or talk. Don't just talk about it, be about it, but be about it in the truth. In love and truth. And here is John displaying that this is how he lives his life. is with love and truth. I, I love you, Gaius, in the truth. 
Now, in one sense, this means in the truth that we both commonly share. What would that be? The truth of the gospel? The truth about who Jesus is? We share this in common. So this is the truth in which I love you. I am filled in my heart with love for you because we share this common faith. You remember from 1 John that if you don't love the brothers, then the love of God is not in you. That if you don't love other Christians, it is evidence that you don't love Christ. Further than that, that you don't even know Him because God is love. Now John is obviously not issuing an, a, a command here in this opening greeting, obviously, but we do learn, as I said a bit ago, principles from his example. See, Third John is sort of this letter that we're, we're, we're almost like a fly on the wall between a, to, to witness a private conversation between the elder and Gaius. What is, what is he talking about here? What does he want to communicate to Gaius? And what can we learn from this communication? This is what's going on in 3 John. And I don't know what this is about. Pardon me. Okay. So John says, I love you in truth. This is such a beautiful statement. And I pray that that would mark this church is love and truth. If we're known by anything, if we never grow to be beyond this size right now, that what would mark our church is love and truth. Those people have the, believe the truth, they talk about the truth, and they love each other in that truth. Love and truth. Truth in love. Love through Truth, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So notice we have here our audience, that Gaius, Gaius is the one who has received this letter, this man Gaius. So we want to understand how this applies to Gaius so that we can draw forth those principles as I stated a bit ago. This is a very personal letter, isn't it? I had much to write to you, Gaius, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. What must it have been like to be the elder? John has had a long life by this point and seen so much. He walked with Jesus. He's seen heresies come and destroy the church, and he's now advanced in age, and what must it be like to be him right now? Because of who he is and what he's been through and the task that he's been given, he has certain things that he focuses on with Gaius. It's not just, hey, bud, how you doing? Hope, 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 hope we can have a barbecue sometime soon. This is a, a meaningful letter, isn't it? Because this is someone that he dearly loves, and he's now advanced in age. He calls himself the elder. Two-part meaning. One, that he's the elder of the two. He's the older one, but also his position in the church at large. The elder, the overseer. Verses 1 through 8 
we're going to treat as one section. I know that it looks like two different paragraphs there, but this is all in reference to Gaius specifically. So we want to see what was Gaius commended for? What was he doing that was so great that, Paul, that John is writing to, this, to him this letter? So let's look at the commendation of Gaius. Let's look at verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John is essentially saying it's going well with your soul and so I also pray that your body would be in good health as your soul is. And this is just a small note that we want to make here. But it's not the most important thing that, that Gaius' body is healthy, but that his soul is healthy. You understand, we can have perfect health. and a lot, For a lot of people, that's the most important thing, is having absolutely perfect health, nothing going wrong. But what's much more important is the health of our soul. You see, we can wear a mask and we can social distance and we can wash our hands and we can do all of these wonderful things and live in perfect health and die and go to hell. What is most important is not our health. As a matter of fact, for the Christian, this is far down the road of what's important to you. We read this morning in Acts chapter 20, Paul was talking about how his life was of no value to him. Aside from just being able to accomplish the ministry that God has set forth for him. I pray that that would be our heart. Yes, we want to be in good health. We don't wish each other ill. We don't wish each other those things. Obviously, John is saying, I hope that your body would be in good health as your soul is. But may it always be most important to us here that your soul is in a good condition. That your soul is healthy. Let's keep going. Verses 3 and 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So here we, we see that Gaius was given a good report by these brothers. These brothers had visited Gaius, and they came back with a very good report. And what was that good report of him? That he just uh, you know, hit it big in the stock market? That he had a big crop yield that year? What, what, what was it? That he was in good health? What was it? It's that he was walking in the truth. This is what was most important to communicate about Gaius. Understand, these... It wasn't like it is now where we could send a text to each other or we could fly and see someone who's hundreds of miles away and this trip could be done in a day or two. This is a totally different time period here where traveling to go see somebody <laughs> means you might not come back. You ever played the Oregon Trail? Anyone? Yeah, you know what it's like to get malaria. Oregon Trail's done. It's done for. It was worse than that back, back here. This is even further back. I mean, they're traveling. They're walking a, a lot of times. 
or if you don't have a camel or some sort of transportation, even at that, how slow is a camel going to go? They don't go that fast. And so travel took a long time. So they wouldn't just travel for the fun of it. They wouldn't just travel to go, hey, you know what? It would be really fun to go see the Cayman Islands. Let's go do that. Because that might take 20 years. So when they travel, they would come back with news of how are they doing? How are the brothers doing there? Are they in good? Are they in walking in the truth? That's what we care about. Are, are, they, are they still holding strong? How's Gaius doing? Has he fallen by the wayside? We heard about the heretics that were coming in and drawing the church, tearing the church apart. How's Gaius doing? This is why John says, I rejoiced greatly. Oh, thank God. Gaius is still holding strong. Gaius is still walking in the truth. Praise God. Thank God. Hey, brother, I want to write you a letter and know, I want you to know that your faith has encouraged my faith. Watching that you are still walking in the truth has encouraged me. It's caused me to rejoice greatly, Gaius. Praise be to God. And this is indeed the most important news that anyone could receive about you. See, in America, we care about how your job is doing, how your lawn is doing. I understand these are parts of our life. But how often do we ask each other and care about and celebrate that someone is still walking in the faith? Praise God that they're being faithful still. Praise God that that trial didn't take them under. Praise God that they haven't given, been given over to Satan. Praise God that they are still walking in the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy. Church, that's not just hyperbole. That's not just hyperbolic language. Oh, you know what? I have no greater joy. He means there is nothing better than to hear that you are walking in the truth, brother. I'm so thankful that you're still there. That's what matters, church. You see that? That's, this is what we want to care about. Is that are we still walking in the truth? When people hear of how you're doing, are they going to hear that you're still walking in the truth? Is that the report that people will receive. You see, good works are good. But good works are nothing without a life changed by the good news. Good works are good, but good works are nothing without a life changed by the good news. In other words, if Gaius had simply done a few good deeds, that wouldn't be enough to cause John to rejoice. What's filling the elder's heart with joy here is that he is walking he is still living in the truth i'm hammering this point home because this fact is the basis for the commendation of gaius that he is still walking in the truth is the basis for john's commendation and that gaius is walking in the truth is now going to be evidenced by his actions you understand what's What's most important is that he's walking in the truth, not just the good deeds that we're about to read. Because plenty of people do good deeds without, heart, without a heart change. You understand that, right? Plenty of people can do plenty of good 
and never know the Lord. So that's not what's most important. The basis for this is that Gaius is walking in the truth. Okay, let's look at verses 5 through 8. What is it that's so great about Gaius? Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see, last week we talked about not receiving a false teacher. You remember? He was saying, don't even greet such a person who's going on and moving aside from the doctrine of Christ. Don't even greet that kind of person. You see, back during this time, whenever they had traveling ministers of some sort, they didn't have a Ramada Inn to put them up in. The believers in the city, in the location that they were going to, would put them up. And they would show hospitality to them. And that's why hospitality is such a big deal. That's why it's a gift of the Spirit that the Lord gifts His church with. They would put up these believers, these ministers, in their homes and support them. You see what he says, they went out for the sake of the name, not accepting anything from the Gentiles. What is he meaning there is that he's a these are missionaries and they're not going to the mission field saying, hey, you need Jesus and I need money. Could you please, I'll tell you about Jesus, please support me for the night, I need a place to crash. That's not what's going on here. That's what's going on today quite often. But that's not what's happening here. So they would be supported by believers, and this would be sort of their, their, their base camp, and they would only stay for a day or two, but this would be their base camp while they either travel through or do ministry in that area. And this is why John tells him to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Give them supplies, give them water, give them food. So in 2 John, when he's talking about don't receive these people into your home, that's primarily the idea, is don't support them. They're not real teachers. These people who are teaching crazy things about Jesus, don't bring them in and send them on their journey. Don't even greet them. Have nothing to do with them. But now we're seeing the, the opposite side of this, is people that we do want to show hospitality to, people that we do want to support. Money is a funny thing in the church, isn't it? And it's a funny thing for a pastor to talk about because as soon as he, oh, there he goes. Everybody starts reaching for their pocketbook. No, you're not going to get me today, pastor. There he is. He must want a new, a new pair of shoes or a new watch or something like that. But in reality, we live in a world where we must have money. This is how God has designed things. You've got to have money to keep the lights on. Believe it or not, we believe in the power of prayer here, but the way that we turn the lights on is not by praying. We pray that the Lord will support us. We pray that the Lord will provide for us, and then we use money to pay bills. You understand? You understand the, what a spiritual conversation this is right now. But you understand, we, God has designed it this way, and so we want to see the resources that we have and see how we can best use those resources. And I think Gaius has it 
exactly right is by supporting people who are going out for the sake of the name. Let's look at it. Strangers as they are. See, these aren't his good friends. This isn't saying, well, little Johnny in the church wanted to go be a missionary to the sandy beaches of Southern California. So let's give him you know, $100,000 to go start a church there. It's, these are people who are going out for the sake of the name of Jesus. Not, not man, oh, you know, I just feel such a burden for those, those sandy shores. The surf oh, that they have, I mean, the, 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 hope, the troubles that they have. You know, the fresh seafood, I mean, the, the... And that's not to say that mission work can't be done in all kinds of places. But you understand, this is a different time here. People are dying for their faith. And so to say that they're going out for the name of Jesus is showing the heart of these missionaries. It's showing that they do not value their life as their own, only that they might complete the ministry that God has given them. What does John say? We want to support people like that. You see, Lord willing, we'll get to a point in this church where we will support a missionary. You know what? We might not know that man. We might not know who he is. What does he say here? Strangers as they are. These men are total strangers coming and Gaius is putting them up. Strangers as they are. But if they are people who are going out for the sake of the name, these are people that we want to support. These are people who we want to pray for. You see, he received them as brothers in the Lord, cared for them as brothers in the Lord, and then sent them on their way as brothers in the Lord Hi, I'm Gaius. I don't know you, but I know the God you serve. Church, that should be enough for us. We check a person's doctrine and teaching, of course. We want to make sure that people are teaching the right thing. And when we see that there is sound doctrine going forth to unreached people groups, we want to say, here, how can we help you? How can we support you? Because when we do that, we are supporting the gospel going forth. But I want you to notice something here. You see, in the life of the church, so many times we, we, we can see what we would consider a menial task, a smaller, less than thing to do around the church. And we think, eh, I really want to do like the big things. I really want to do the, the cool things. What is Gaius doing here? What is Gaius commended for? Verse 6. They testified to your love. Isn't that remarkable? They didn't testify to your incredible skill at woodworking. or They didn't testify how good you are with the finances. They testified to your love, Gaius. I'm convinced that people in the church, door openers, the greeters, the parking lot attendants, who do that from the bottom of their heart with love, are going to receive tremendous honor in heaven. 
said the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He said, lower yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, he's now forever enshrined in the pages of Holy Scripture and all that this man did was show hospitality to brothers. Do you understand that? This is so not how we think, is it? Man, you know what? I just really want to be the guy who gives people a place to sleep. I just want to be the guy who's just super loving. I want to be the guy who's on the guitar just wailing away, is what we think. I want to be the guy who's getting the whole crowd fired up. That's what I want to do. But here this man is in the inspired word of scriptures just because of his hospitality and his love. There is a great lesson for us to learn here, church. For the sake of the name, let's look at this. Let's understand that this is the mark of a true preacher, a true herald. Verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name. False teachers do what they do for the sake of of fame and true preachers do what they do for the sake of the name. False teachers do it for the sake of building their name. True preachers do it for the glory of his name. False teachers want to be known. True preachers want to make Christ known. False teachers are concerned with saying something fresh, original, and new. True preachers are concerned with saying the truth. Therefore, John says, we ought to support people like these. Are not the false teachers of this world making millions upon millions of dollars? Are they not? They are very well taken care of. And so often, the faithful missionaries are struggling to make ends meet. So far, so often the people who are going out for the sake of their name, leaving, leaving their home behind, leaving safety and comfort behind, are barely making ends meet. Church, these are the people that we ought to support. These are the people that we want to send money to, certainly support with prayer. But we want to also show our love with something material, don't we? 1 John 3, 18, don't just love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Support these people, not because they're so awesome, but because they are going out for the sake of the name. Listen, anyone can be a missionary. Today, it is really popular to go to some beautiful destination and it's a missions trip and really what it amounts to is a christian vacation where you sightsee you eat some awesome food and you do a few jesusy things hallelujah here's your badge you're a christian i'm not saying those are all bad good things can come from that but that's not what john has in mind here these are men who are out there on the mission field paul washer speaks of being literally in a war zone, preaching the gospel, bombs going off around them. These are the people that we want to support. You can go to an exotic place and sightsee and never 
spread the gospel. These are men who are sacrificing their life. They are laborers in the truth. Anybody ever read one of Paul's letters? Anyone? How well did it go for him? That guy was a missionary. How many times was he in prison? How many times did he speak of, you guys are doing well and we go without food? These are the men that we want to support. We want to support men who are going out for the sake of the name. Now on the other side, we see an example of what not to do. In John's scathing condemnation of Diotrephes. Let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Every single bit of division, both then and now, in the church is rooted in, I want to put myself first. It's the first thing he says about Diotrephes. Who likes to put himself first? What does he do? He doesn't acknowledge authority. Then he starts to gossip and slander. And then he gets in everybody else's way who wants to be obedient. Do you see how that progression happens? I want to put myself first, therefore I can't follow authority. Well, I don't answer to no man. I answer to God. Yes, you absolutely do. And God has instilled authority in His church. This is what we're learning in Sunday school. God has placed biblical leadership in His church for the good of the church. And the very first thing that happens whenever someone is living their life from a place of selfishness and self-centeredness and a me-first mentality is that they reject authority. Nah, I don't think so. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I, I know the right way. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. What does this lead to? Not content with that talking wicked nonsense against us. Then they begin to gossip and slander and speak ill of other people. Selfishness, a rejection of authority, and then gossip and slander. It's a tale as old as time, church. We see that oh, a plenty. There are billions of stories like this. Maybe not billions, but there are endless stories of church division and how did it start is people wanted to put themselves first. Do you understand? This is why we hammer home the idea, the understanding that we must be unified. Not under Matt's cool ideas. We must be unified under the authority of the Word of God. We must be unified in our understanding that we want to apply all that this book says to our personal life and to the life of the church. If we do not have that unity, what are we going to see is a church full of diatrophies. We'll have a bunch of people like good old Dio here. People who want to put themselves first and then they begin to reject authority. This also 
is another case for a plurality of leaders, isn't it? Now, we don't know. Maybe Diotrephes is an elder. Maybe he's a church leader. Maybe he's just a church member. We don't know. It's not, it doesn't tell us. But we do know that he at least carries enough weight in the church that he's casting people out of the church. You see, if you have a plurality of leadership, you really limit these types of things from happening. Can you have wicked leaders all the time? That can certainly happen. But when you call God-called men to be in the leadership of the church, a plurality of them, now you have several men with equal leadership and authority in the church so that we can all guide, guide the direction of the church together. And you severely limit these types of things from happening. What does this sound like? It sounds like a dictator. This sounds like an authoritarian, totalitarian regime, does it not? Well, this is my church. What I say goes. What I say goes. What I, what I, what I, what I, what I. He was rejecting the authority of the apostles. Now, we don't have any apostles today that would write the, the New Life Baptist Church or the churches in Wolferth and tell us, give us specific directions, but we do still have the teachings of the apostles. It's right here. This is literally what we're reading right now. So what that would look like today is, well, you know, I don't know that we really need to take it that serious. Well, I, you know, I don't know if we really need to, well, you know, I don't know if we really need to, I don't know if we want to, I hear people say, put God in a box like that. Somebody said that in Sunday school, and it, I hear it all the time. Believe it or not, I hear quite often from church leaders, you don't want to make the Bible your idol. Men like that search for books outside of Scripture, come up with ideas, come up with plans. They have think tanks, and that's how they lead the church. Why? Because they want to put themselves first. I want to put myself first. I reject the authority of the written word. So now I speak ill of all of these people. You'll find it. You will find this plenty. It happens every single time. This is the example that Diotrephes sets forth for us. And Paul warns us very clearly in Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't rule the church with an iron fist. What eventually happens is that these people, not only are they not following God, they don't want other people to follow and obey. Woe to them on the last day. What does John say in verse 11? Beloved, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. What we could say is, don't imitate Diotrephes, imitate Gaius. Don't be like Diotrephes, be like Gaius. Why? Look at what he says. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. There's a strong implication here that he's saying that Diotrephes is not even a real brother in the faith. Strong indication here. But, it, but regardless of that, what we want to take away 
So we want to imitate people of the faith who show love, who are loving, who love each other in truth, who are supporting the work of the ministry. Because after all, this is exactly what John says, that when we support people like this, we become fellow workers for the truth. Think about that. Gaius isn't the one sacrificing his life out on the mission field. He's just supporting. But what his work is, his work is so significant that he is now considered a fellow laborer for the truth. Church, that's a big deal. That's not something small. You are co-laboring as though you were there yourself when you support the work of solid gospel, sound doctrine, sound theology, teaching, going forth. And we can do that by supporting missionaries. We do that by supporting this church. We can do this by supporting parachurch organizations. There are many ways that we can do this. But what's very important that we want to take away from this is that we want to be supporters of truth, not supporters of deception. In a world filled with people like Diotrephes, be a Gaius. We're going to turn, shift gears now. If you would please stand.